And so last time we, we talked about the triumph entry and how Jesus, he fulfills the scriptures. He's been fulfilling scripture this whole time. Um, and, and in this moment, he's, he fulfills the scripture out of Zechariah um, about him. You know, your king is coming seated on a donkey. And um, a lot of other scriptures are being fulfilled uh, as Jesus approaches the cross. And now we continue on with John 12, and we read today starting from verse 20. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to John verse 12. We're going to start from verse 20. My mask broke. That's why I'm not wearing the mask. I thought it was a little bit bigger, but then as I was singing, like it started to split down the middle. And I was, um, I'm not going to wear that for right now. Sorry, guys. Um, and so if you have your Bibles with you, turn to John 12. I'll read it. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. So, so he's talking about a feast. It's, fa- it's Passover time. It's one of the uh, most important feasts in the Jewish calendar. And, um, and Israel is like buzzing. Israel is like, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to like um, uh, Nampodong on Christmas. Who's been to Nampodong on Christmas, right? Me and Mina on Christmas Eve, we took both kids when Ezra was like a little baby to Nampodong on Christmas. And it was crazy. Like, we couldn't move. There were like people everywhere. Like, like, like we were just constantly moving. We thought we lost our kids. And, you know, we were just like, what's going on? It was jam-packed, and that's what Jerusalem is like right now. It's like people from all around are coming together. They're gathering for this amazing feast. Um, they don't have hotels back then. There's no Holiday Inn that you can, you know, rent. So, you know, if you have a home, you would open it up to strangers. This is what Jewish people would do. Like, they're fellow Jews. And so if you have room in your house, you know, you would let people, travelers from all around come and stay in your uh, house with you, or they would camp out on the on the ground. Like, you know, it was just a thing to do. They would go up on um, the Mount of Olives, and they would, like, you know, put up tents, and they would sleep in tents. But J- Jerusalem is buzzing, and the, and the passage says that there were some Greeks that were there to worship. Now, these are what the Jews would call God-fearers. These are Greeks, they're Gentiles, that, um, you know, that learned about God, the one and only, you know, God of the Jews. Um, and they start to worship him. They're, they pray to him. You know, they do everything except get circumcised. That's like that's like the one thing that these uh, Jet- Greeks would not do. But beyond that, you know, they worship God. They were God fearers, and a group of them approached Philip. Now, I believe they approached Philip because Philip is a Greek name. Um, you know, Alexander the Great, his father's name was Philip, and so um, being having a Greek name, although he was a Jew. Um, they probably were drawn to him, and so they ask him. They go up to him, um, and they probably they might know that he's, you know, that he uh, lives amongst Gentiles and stuff like that. And so they might have felt comfortable approaching this this man, Philip, and they ask him that they want to see Jesus. They're like, dude, like we heard about this guy Jesus. We heard about uh, that he might be the Messiah. We want to see Jesus. Um, you know, as you recall, last the last verse that we covered in the previous sermon was that the Pharisees said to another, like, as Jesus comes into the city, they say, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And so there's this image of just everybody, a lot of people, they, they're looking to Jesus, they're coming to Jesus, they're drawn to Jesus. And the Pharisees were anxious 
Um, Jesus' notoriety was at his climax. It was at his peak. He was, everybody was, they knew who he was. They knew where he come from. It was at its climax. climax. And here, Greeks from far and wide, they come to Jerusalem and they seek out Jesus. They want to they know what he's about. They want to they know who he is. Um, and one thing to note about this and why it's included in the Gospel of John is that the major, one of the major themes of the book of John is that Jesus is the Savior of the world. You know, not just the Redeemer of Israel, but He is the Savior of the world. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's from John 1.29. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. John 3.16. Uh, he is the bread of life that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. John 6. He is the light of the world. John 8. Jesus says that He's the good shepherd and that there's other sheep that will be brought into the fold. Um, and He was talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about the whole world um, be, being under and being in the fold of, of Jesus. So John, in his gospel, wants to point out the fact that Jesus came and not just to save the Israelites, not just to save the Jews, but to bring salvation to all mankind. You know, I'm not talking about this universalism. You know, there's this new movement um, it's called Christian Universalism, where they believe like no matter who you are, you may you may be you, know, you might not know Jesus, you might be some pagan on the street, you might be you know that Jesus came to save everybody, that everybody you know when they die eventually um, will go to heaven and will be with Jesus. Um, that that's a heresy, <laughs> and uh, and that's not what uh, John is trying to get at here, um, but he's trying to convey that Jesus came to sa- save every kind of person. All types of men, Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, Blacks, Whites, Irish, Chinese, Koreans, Japanese, men, women, rich people, poor people, you know, middle, middle class people, you know, people that are, you know, like, you know, good looking, people that are ugly, people that are skinny, people that are fat. It doesn't matter. Every tongue and every tribe and every nation will come to know and be saved by Jesus. That's what this theme of John is about. It's, it's that Jesus came to save the world. And here we have Greeks, and they're seeking Him out. They're seeking out, you know, who is this Jesus? They want to know who He is about. And so Philip tells Andrew, and they approach Jesus. And then this is how Jesus responds. You know, they're like, Jesus, these Greeks, they want to come, and they want to, they, they want to know what you're about. They want to meet you. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servants be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor, me, honor him. They tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, these Greek, they want to come and see you. And Jesus makes this declaration. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And up to this point, Jesus would do amazing things. He would do glorious things. He would feed 5,000 people. He would heal the blind. He would raise the, raise the dead. You know, he raised Lazarus. He would, heal, like, raise, he would heal the lame. You know, this guy has been invalid for 48 years. Right? 48 years he's been sitting by the, the pool and all of a sudden Jesus comes he heals him. He does these amazing, glorious things. And every time he would do it, he would be like, my time has not yet come. 
And he would do his disappearing act, you know, like, you know how people, they put that, throw that smoke bomb, and he's gone, right? That's what he would do. He would like slip away every time they, he'd do something amazing, and they're like, the Jews literally wanted to like, like take him and make him, force him to be king, right? They're like, in a passage in John, I think it's John 6, they're like, he did such amazing, they, they, they were, they, like Jesus had to slip away, he had to like escape, right? Do his little, and he's gone. Because they wanted to, to take him and force him to be king. And up to this point, every time things like this would happen, he was like, shh, don't tell anybody, keep it on the down low. It's not my time yet, right? It's not my, it's my, it's not my time, my, my appointed time has not yet come. But then as even Greeks and even all these people in Jerusalem, they're all trying to, you know, the Pharisees are like, the whole world has gone after him. Everybody knows his, his, his popularity and his notoriety is at his climax. It's God's timing. And he said, it's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Something changed. He's saying, the time has come. And it's time for him to be glorified. And then he tells them this word picture. It's not really a parable, but it's like this imagery that he says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You, know, you take a grain of wheat. You know, have you ever seen a grain of wheat? It's tiny, right? Like, like it's really insignificant. You know, you can eat it and you will still be hungry, right? It's like, it's not much. Um, it doesn't look like much. It's just small. It's insignificant. But when the seed is planted in the ground, it's buried. And when that seed starts to grow roots, and the seed in essence dies. It stops being a seed, right? It actually cracks open. Have you ever seen a seed? It cracks open, and these tentacles come out, you know, and it's like, ah, it looks almost painful, right? But then it stops being a seed, and all of a sudden, it starts to bear much fruit. The seed has to die in order for fruitfulness, for fruit to come. And Jesus is talking about his death, he's talking about his resurrection. And he's just saying, there is no resurrection without death. His time has come for him to die. So that from his death and resurrection, there can be a bounty, a harvest, a fruitfulness upon this earth. And Jesus says that this is his glorification. It's like, it's time for me to be glorified. And he's saying that, it, that, there, it, that in his glorification, he's going to die, right? And his, these disciples, if they knew what was going to happen to him, they would be like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Jesus, what do, you, what do you mean glorified? You're going to hang. You're hanging on a cross and you're, you're dying the death of a criminal, right? The lowest of the lows. You're, you're being humiliated, Jesus. What are you talking about? Your glorification. What are you talking about? You're being glorified. You know, you're, you're dying the death, the lowest death that you could possibly die. But Jesus is alluding to the most important lesson in the kingdom of God. One of the most important lessons, and it's a central theme of this message, and it's the spiritual truth that there could be no glory without suffering. There is no resurrection life without death. There is no victory without surrender. There is no, there is no, there is no, like, you know, resurrection. There is no life without sacrifice. And Jesus is painting this picture of his death illustrated by a seed that falls to this earth and dies, and his death, there's fruitfulness. And that's why he's saying, this is, it's, it's, a, it's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he takes this analogy and he applies it to us. He says, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates 
his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servants be also. If anyone serves me, my Father will honor him. Jesus gives us this call to die to ourselves, to follow him, to surrender to him, you know, to, to literally follow him into his death and his resurrection. What does that look like? When he says hate yourself, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that we're not supposed to love ourselves. You know, if you love yourself, he's not saying we're supposed to hate ourselves. Love, hate. What Jesus is talking about is the old Jewish way of talking about priorities, right? And Jesus uses this a few times in Scripture. In Luke fourteen twenty six, he says, "If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple." Jesus isn't telling us to hate our parents. Right? If we read that literally, it's like, dude, I'm supposed to hate my dad, right? No, my mom. And when I get annoyed at her because she's so overbearing, it's okay. I'm supposed to hate my mom. No! That goes against the very teachings of God. It goes against the very commandments of God. This is how Jewish people talk back then. When he says, if you hate yourself, love yourself, what he's talking about is saying, he's talking about priorities. And the priority that our lives must be in tune with is the glory of God. I said this many times in my sermons, but God is all about his glory. And it says, I am the Lord, this is my name, my glory I give to no other. I will share my glory with no other. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. God is all about His glory. Why? Is it because He's conceited? Is it because He's like one of those people that needs to be a center of attention? A lot of people say that I'm like that. I'm sorry, right? I have to be the center of attention. I don't think so. I just, I'm just loud. Is, is that God? Is God has to? I, I need to be the center of attention. Why is God all about His glory? Because His glory is the greatest thing in the universe. Do you, do you understand that there is nothing greater than God's glory? Because there is no one greater than God. Everything in this universe pales in comparison to God and His glory. He is the greatest, period. And Jesus is saying that if we are His people, right, we, like, we share in that glory. He's saying that it's time for Him to... He's like, he's like, it's time for me, God Himself, to be glorified how I'm going to die. I'm going to rise. And the glory of God will be manifested in me, the person of Jesus. Do you guys understand this? And Jesus says, follow him, follow me into his death. And when we die to ourselves, we rise with him, we shall share in his glory. And we will live for his glory. And his glory is the greatest thing that we can live for. A single seed looks like nothing. Have you ever seen wheat? Like, just, you've never seen it, right? But have you ever seen a field of wheat, right? They talk about it. Amber waves of grain. I don't know what that song is. It's an American song, right? But he talks about just the beautiful fields. Beautiful fields of like these golden wheat, right? And just like if, you, if you've ever driven through America and parts of the Midwest, 
you drive through these field grains, and that's all you see on both sides, right? You just see grain, like there's fields of grain, just like on all sides and all on the other side, and all you see is this road, and on both sides you just see like like yellow gold grains, just wheat just growing into the into the horizon, right? And Jesus, what he's saying is he's he's inviting us into his glory. As we, a tiny seed, as we die to ourselves and we, 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 we cease to become a seed and we start to grow and we start to bear fruit, we share in the glory of God. Romans 8, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may share in his glory. You guys hear that? We share in the glory of God. And what Jesus is calling us into is a life of priority where we prioritize the glory of God above all else in our lives. Whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Talk about, like, what is our life? What is, what glory are we chasing in our lives? Because we all have a sense of glory in our lives. Right? We all know what glory feels like. And glory is not just a Christian thing. You guys think that glory is a Christian thing? You know, there's a movie, Glory. Have you ever seen it with Denzel Washington? And it's good. It makes me cry every time I watch it. You guys check it out. It's like this. It's not a Christian thing. It's, it's, it's not just a God thing. We all have a sense of glory. Hollywood exists because of glory. The NBA exists and just started, and the Lakers are not doing that good because of glory. The NFL, the Grammys, the Emmys, the Golden Globes, the Oscars, they all exist because of glory. Lady Gaga, in an interview, said... I've been always, I've always been, I've always felt, I've always been famous. It's just that you didn't know who I was. Right? That's what she said. So in her, when she was a little kid, in her face, she's like, she felt, feels this glory, like I'm supposed to be famous. I'm supposed to be big. I'm supposed to shine. Everybody's supposed to know me. That's glory. That's, a, that's just a twisted sense of what, what, how man takes glory for ourselves. And you guys, I've heard interviews of Lady God, and people say that, that she was either going to be famous or die trying, right? We all have a sense of glory, and everyone is living for some kind of glory in their lives. Whether it's the glory of wealth, whether it's the glory of being comfortable, whether it's, it's like, like being liked by other people, being famous. We all have a, have a sense of glory in our lives, right? But nothing comes close to the glory of God. No amount of money, no amount of fame, no recognition, no amount of worldly position. Whatever glory we are living for will fade and will fizzle out and will just... like You know, remember in, in, in Infinity War? It was Infinity War at the end when all the characters started to... And, and like float away and disappear. That's, that's Whatever glory that we're going after in this world is just going to become that... Compared to God and God's glory. But when we live for God's glory, when we prioritize our lives for His glory, we open up 
our lives for the fullness of what God in His glory has for us. That's why Paul prays for us in Ephesians 1. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, says, you know, the eyes of our hearts so that we can see that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe. Right? We share in this glory, and we have, like, in our future, in our destiny, right, there is this, this sharing of the, the immeasurable glorious riches that God has for us as we live a life that glorifies His name, that glorifies who He is. We share in His glory. That's amazing to me because the glory of God is the greatest thing. It's greater than the sun. In our, in our solar system, the greatest thing in our solar system is the sun. If you try to imagine how big the sun is, your brain would like... Would kind of like melt, right? Like if we, if we even came, like if we even approached the sun, like like even like a like a thousand miles closer than we were supposed to, like 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 we would start to melt. Like the sun is the greatest thing in our solar system, and yet, in compared to the glory of God, it is nothing. It pales in comparison. And God says, Jesus says, dude, you get to share in the glory of God. But it requires death. It requires death of our will, our glory. It means that our, we set our priorities on Him and His glory. We live our lives for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whether, whatever you do, do all for the, to the glory of God. And Jesus here gives us the key in how we can live a life for the glory of God. How do we glorify God? Right. Do I hit a home run in the NFL? You know, remember Sammy Sosa? You hit a home run, he'd be like, Yeah, you do that every time. Right? Is that giving glory to God? Is it, you know, like, you know, winning an Oscar and saying, you know, glory to God, you know, like, what, what does giving glory to God look like in our lives? And Jesus gives us an example. Verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for to know. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. He's talking about you know, rabbis back then. Rabbis would have students and they would follow. They say that the, the, the students are covered by the dust of the, the rabbi's feet. Right? The rabbis would walk and they would all walk behind them. In this single file line where they were constantly going and they would listen to what he had to say. Saying, if you are my servant, if you were to serve me, follow me. The king, the key is following Jesus. We follow him. We die to ourselves and we follow him. Luke Luke 9, 23. And he he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We glorify Him. We live our lives for His glory. When every day we wake up and we make a conscious choice, we choose Jesus. We wake up and say, you know, today I choose Jesus. I'm going to pick up my cross. I'm going to live my life. 
I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow me and be led by the Spirit of God in all that we do, in all that I do. That, that brings glory to God. Yes, other things bring glory to God. When, you know, when we do amazing things and we glory to God. But if that's all you're doing, if, 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 everything, if every time that you give glory to God is when you win an award, something is wrong, right? Or every time you give glory to God is when you hit a home run or you score a touchdown, something is wrong. Because the glory of God is not manifested in these moments. Glory of God is manifested in your life, through your life. That's the amazing thing about us as as being children of God is that we have the capacity to, to glorify God. Do you know that? That's an amazing thing. As we follow Him, choose Him daily. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. Let me tell you, the Bible says that when we surrender to Him, the Holy Spirit, it becomes like a power in, at work in us that starts to transform us. Ephesians 3, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. I want to ask, are you following Him in your life? Is your life, are you waking up and are you going and picking up your cross and are you choosing Jesus every day as you live your life? Is your life's aim to glorify God? Because God is not deficient of glory. We think sometimes that like we have to give glory to God because God's up in heaven and He has His glory meter and it's like getting too low and He's like, oh, I need more glory. No. He doesn't lack glory. There, there's no lack in God. He is the glorious one. But when we follow Him and we live a life for His glory and we bask in His glory, we are transformed by His glory. You guys understand? His glory, God wants us to glorify Him. Not so that He can be up in heaven and be like, Ah, my glory. No, He wants us to glorify Him so that we can be transformed and we can change. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So as we bask in God's glory, as we choose Jesus, our connection to God's glory is Jesus. And so we choose Jesus. And Jesus, we say, Jesus, I love you. I'm going to follow you. I give you my heart. I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going to live my life for you. And as we bask in the glory of Jesus and the glory of God comes upon our lives, the Bible says that we are transformed from one glory to the next. From glory to glory. And we can't fully understand the glory of God, but here's the thing, we experience it through Jesus. And we can't understand what the glory of God really is. Because if we did, we would die, right? And we're going to talk about that later, but if we did, we would die, right? But we, we don't fully understand the glory of God, but we experience the glory of God through Jesus. He is glorified. He's saying, I, it's time for me to be glorified. He's glorified on the cross. And as He dies and as He resurrects in His truth and in His life, in our lives, we experience God's glory through a relationship with Him. We are changed by His glory. We experience the power of His glory in a relationship with Jesus. Have you ever like had those moments? Like, like for me, I have these moments that happen maybe like once in a while where I'm like in prayer or I'm just like kind of 
dazing off and something. And then, like, I, like, get this, like, it's like this, like, overwhelming realization how real Jesus is. Have you ever had that before? I would freak out sometimes. I'd be like, I would be just thinking, daydreaming, and all of a sudden I'd be like, oh, Jesus is real. He's real. And like, I can like literally feel his presence, like, right? And like, I could just like, it's almost like I could feel his breath on my neck, right? And I'd be like, oh, and I would freak out. I'd be like, oh, like, Jesus is like, that's the glory of God, right? Like, to know and understand how, how real he is and that he, he did everything that he was supposed to do and everything that he said about him is true and everything that he did and everything that he does for us is real. When we realize that and it starts to affect our life, that's the glory of God. The Bible says that we're transformed by the glory of God. And then Jesus has this moment. Right after this, he says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for the purpose I have come to this hour. John's the one book in the Gospels that doesn't record the Garden of Gethsemane. You guys know about the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus goes with uh, Peter, John, and James. And they're in the garden, and Jesus is like, stay, with, stay up with me and pray. And then he goes, and he comes back, and they're all sleeping. You guys know that story, right? And then Jesus, he, he goes to the Father, he prays to the Father, like, Father, if this cup, if it's possible for this cup, he's talking about the crucifixion, right? He's saying, if this cup could be passed from me, right? If it can be removed, but he says, not my will, but yours be done, right? Well, in the in the Gospel of John, he doesn't record this Gethsemane prayer, but he does record this this moment, you know, where he says, "Now my soul is troubled." He knows what he is about to face. It's the last week of his life. He knows about the physical torture of the cross, right? The beatings, the whippings, the crown of thorn on his head. Imagine, like, have you ever got pricked by a rose? Who, who's gotten pricked by a rose thorn before, right? Yeah, like, it's, it's painful, right? But they, they take a thorn and they jab it on top of his head, all the way down into the skull. They drive nails into his hands. They drive nails into his feet. And they hang him on a cross until he dies. Right? He knows that this is going to happen. But it's not just that. Because other men have experienced that and died like that, right? He, he, but he also understands that the sins of the world will be placed upon him. Second Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He knew that he will take on the punishment of, of all of our sins. Right? The sins of man will be upon him. But there's also more than that. Because right before his death, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's this moment where there's a separation between Jesus and the Father. And when the Father turns his face, and Jesus, he cries out, Why have you forsaken me? And he's separated from the Father. You know that that's hell? You know that hell, you guys have your image of hell. Like the cartoons, there's all this fire, and there's like a devil with a pitchfork, like that, that, poking you and doing like bad things to you. That's not hell. Hell is being separated from God. All that is good, all that is love, all that is righteous and holy. You know, hell does exist. A lot of people, a lot of pastors and churches don't like to preach on hell, but it's real. 
And the truth of hell is eternally being separated from God. God is good. So when you're eternally separated from God, you're eternally separated from anything that can remotely be good. Can you imagine that? Anything that can be remotely be love. You're eternally separated from that. Anything that can be remotely be righteous, you're eternally separated from that. That is hell. And Jesus, he experienced this in his death. That's what he was looking forward to. A lot of people, they, they put a lot of, like all the things that Jesus went through, is the cross in his hands and his feet. Yes, that's painful. And nobody wants to go through that. But people have gone through that. But no man in the history of this universe faced what Jesus faced. And the sins of man being placed upon him and being separated God. Like experiencing that. The sins of man, the punishment of man was upon him. The chastisement of man was upon him. Jesus knew, and he's saying, my soul is troubled. But he says, for this purpose I have come for this hour. And then Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came down from heaven. And he says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And it says, the crowd sit there and heard it and said that it had been thundered. The other said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what, by what kind of death he was going to die. That term being lifted up, right? this crucifixion. They would lay him on the ground, you know, put nails in their body, and they will raise them up and hoist them up, right? That, that's what he's talking about. And then the Jew, and then the people say, he said to show what kind of death that he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to him, the light is among you a little longer, a little while longer. Walk while you're, you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. You know, and so as Jesus walks into Jerusalem, he knew what was happening. He knew where he was going. He knew what he was approaching. He knew what he was... He knew what he was facing. And, and, and his disciples are clueless. Right? His disciples, they're still expecting the Messiah to be this military king. The people that welcomed him into the city with the palm, palm branches are crying out, Hosanna. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They had no clue. They thought that Jesus would come and be this like military leader, take over the Romans and, 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 and be king again. Even as the very voice of God comes down from heaven, the audible voice of God is only recorded three times in the New Testament. This baptism of Jesus where he says, this is my beloved son who I am very well pleased. Transfiguration where Moses and Elijah is like, this is my son whom I love with him. Um, I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
And here in John 12, we, we hear the audible voice of God. And in all three times, it's to affirm what Jesus was there to do. And here, the voice of God says that he's glorifying Jesus, and yet almost everyone there has no clue what Jesus was there to do. And most, most of the ones that are following him in a few days, they're going to be the ones that are saying, crucify him. Right? His very own disciples, the ones that he's been walking and eating and sleeping that near and, and you know, teaching and, and, and loving on for the past three years, they're all going to ditch him. They're all going to peace out. I don't know that man. They're all going to deny him and flee. But Jesus didn't care. Because for Jesus, it was all about the glory of God. You guys understand? And most of the ones that are following him, they had no idea. Because for him, it's the glory. Hebrews 12, 2, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That joy that was set before him was the knowledge that, that we would share in the glory of God. Jesus, as he is approaching the cross, he understands that we would live our lives for the glory of God. The people that, that would put their trust and put their faith in Jesus would one day, all of the multitudes and the millions and the billions of people that put their faith in Jesus, Jesus is looking at them and saying, they're going to glorify. They're going to glorify God. They're going to glorify the Father. And as he approached the cross, he saw this. He saw you living your life for the glory of God. He saw you, AJ, as you choose to live your life for the glory of God. He saw all of us so all, every single person that would come to know Him and put their faith in Him, He saw that we would all live for the glory of God. And He's like, for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. He, he, none of them got it. Not even one person in that whole city. It was a crowded city. Hustle, bustle, everybody was there. Nobody knew what was happening. But Jesus, he, had, he didn't care. Because he wasn't there to be, to be recognized. He was there to do and bring glory to God with his death and his resurrection. Brothers and sisters, the glory of God is a weighty thing. In Exodus, when Moses asked God to show him his glory, God's like, I can't show you my glory or you would die. You would be like, you, you, you cease to exist. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you hide in the cleft of this rock. Right? And, and, and you're going to let you hide in the cleft. And you're going, to, you're going to hide behind this rock. And I'm going to use my hand to shield you from my glory. And as I start to walk by, I'm going to remove my hand. And you're just going to see my back. You're just going to see my back. Because if you saw my face, you, you would die. And Moses says, show me your glory. And then God puts him in the cleft and he walks by and he sees his back. And he comes down from the mountain after spending time with God. And Jesus and Moses' face is like, he's like shiny. He's so shiny that people can't look at him. They're like, oh, Moses, like, like I, can't, I can't look at you, man. You're, it's like looking into the sun. And he literally had to wear a veil to cover himself because his face was so illuminating, because he was so transformed by the glory of God. That's the glory of God. It's a weighty thing. It's a powerful thing. It's something that we have to take seriously. Giving God glory isn't 
a kiss, and something that we add to our acceptance speech or our, our, you know, an award speech when we do something good. It's about priority. It has everything to do with what we manifest in our lives. As we surrender and as we die to ourselves, and we die with Him and we rise with Him in His resurrection, we, we give Him our Lordship. He becomes our Lord over our lives and we, glo- and we give glory with the life that we live. You know, we, there's no way that we can give glory to God with just our mouths. We can say glory to God all we want. Right? We can sing glory to God all we want. But if it's not backed by how our life is and the life that we live is, is meaningless. Paul lived a life like this. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Brothers and sisters, I, have, I want to challenge you today. Ask yourself, reflect on your life. What glory are you living for? Are you living for the glory that the world offers? Are you living for the glory that you can find in yourself, in your life, in the comfort, in your recognition, what you can have and what you can desire in your life? And we're going to talk about this next Sunday, but are you living for the glory of being accepted by man? Are you living for the glory of the, like the glory of man? Or is your priority set on the glory of heaven, the glory of God, the very same glory that Jesus died on the cross for us to share in his death and his resurrection. I want to close with the quote by A.W. Tozer from his book, The Crucified Life. It says, The glory of God always comes at the sacrifice of self. If you want to experience the glory of God in your life, you have to sacrifice yourself. You have to deny yourself. You have to pick up your cross. You can start living your life for Jesus and for the glory of God. So many times we think that we're missing out when we surrender. Like, oh, if I surrender, I'm missing out. If I sacrifice, I'm missing out. But it's only in surrender, it's only in sacrifice can we gain the most valuable thing that, that exists in this, in this universe. And it's the glory of God as we live our lives for Him. Let's, let's all stand up and let's pray. Father God, we, just, we thank You that You share, that You give us the opportunity to share in your glory. We thank you, Lord, that, Lord, in our lives, we, we chase after foolish things. We chase after silly things. We chase after the recognition of people. We chase after affluence. We chase after money. We chase after things of this earth that would just literally crumble and be gone. But, Lord, help us to Hold fast to the thing that endures and lasts and is eternal and is the greatest thing that exists in this universe. And it's your glory. And I pray that we will be a people that live our lives for your glory. I pray that you will be, we will be a people that seek to be in your presence and bask in your glory. And as we contemplate on your glory, you say, that we are transformed into the image from one glory to the next. Lord, I pray that you, we will be changed for the better. We will be changed into your image. 
as we continue to look and seek to live our lives for the glory of God. May we not live for ourselves. May we not live for our our fleshly desires and our fleshly needs. I pray for a life that is dedicated to you, that is seeking out a relationship with you, that we will be transformed by you as we, as we live a life for your glory to reign in this world. We thank you and we love you.